So James, I really enjoyed our conversation with Jonas today, didn't you? I really did. It's funny, Jonas has kind of brought me around on ATMs. I'm actually enjoying talking about it now. It was, that was that was like I'm I'm like game to talk about anything in the industry. ATMs always kind of been my you right. know I couldn't get into it, but with Jonas, he's so passionate about it, and and he really there really are some incredibly interesting things going on with it. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and some opportunities. I mean, I've always yeah. you and I have discussed this in the past. I've always been sort of pro ATM. Yes. You're sort of like. Yeah, okay, Patty, sure. Um, but right, I think right. I think when I think you'll come our audience will come through uh come on the other side of this interview understanding that yeah, there really are some yeah. opportunities. Well, there. and they'll understand cashless ATM, which which frankly they, I didn't fully understand until this interview. So that you know, the, the right. cannabis dispensaries and just the idea of the cashless ATM, that that's gonna be really interesting as well. I think. Which you know, which we didn't really get into, but you know, it's not just cannabis dispensaries, they can be right. used other places. Of course. You know, so it might be an opportunity. And then I, I really enjoyed your um question from the field. Yeah. So I talk about external risks uh, to merchant sales. Normally I'm talking about external competitors, meaning, you know, right. Square, Toast, uh, Stripe, uh, but that's not the, the topic today. Today I talk about um, external types of, of value exchange. So P2P, mm-hmm. I talk about uh, FedNow, I talk about delivery services like Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub, and how those are going to impact over the next two or three years, the merchant sales where we're going to actually lose a percentage of the volume that we would process. Um, And then tell us about the insider's report today, Patty. Well, we kind of continue with the ATM trend, although it's more about debit cards and about we just uh, do a brief overview of the Fed's uh, recent change to uh, debit card routing rules. And uh, our episode today is brought to you by NMI. Go to NMI.com to learn more. James, are you ready to start with the podcast? Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. James and I here are here today with Jonas, um, our good friend from uh, Star Financial. You know, Jonas, I know we've had you on the podcast in the past, but maybe, you know, for those who might have missed that episode or, you know, people who aren't familiar with you, perhaps you can give us a brief overview of your path in merchant services and tell us a little bit about Star Financial. Sure. Patty, thank you so much. And James for having me as well. Uh, It's great to be back. And, um, you know, actually, uh, you know, the path to, uh, you know, in on our ATMs and, and merchant services for us is, uh, kind of, for me, actually, it's actually by accident. I was actually working um, in a government position, going, you know, studying to go to law school and uh, just looking for basically a side hustle. And, wow. uh, and, and ATM is actually where I started, honestly. Um, and that's, that's it, it unique, was, I'm sure, for law students. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> looking for a side hustle, you know. And I, honestly, first I couldn't believe it because I used to work at a bank, you know, okay. when I was in college. Uh-huh. And uh, and we used to fill the ATMs all the time in the drive-through ATMs, and I just didn't understand, like, wh- you know, how uh, how could I do that, like, at another location? Like, it didn't even dawn on me. That wasn't Until, a bank, you mean, right? It wasn't a bank. It wasn't a bank. So I was like, wow, this is this is interesting. So, you know, I placed an ATM. My first ATM was actually in a tanning salon from from all places. <laughs> that, wow. That's unusual. <laughs> yeah. At the time, that was really having a hard time with their merchant services. Uh, this oh, was 15 okay. years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, they were, you know, it's super expensive for them, I guess. And right. they wanted to go straight cash only. Um, and uh, uh, and put my first ATM in, it was uh, dispensing tens <laughs> only. <laughs> right, uh, right. And uh, really, that's that's where I started. And uh, from there, you know, one by one by one, just building it block by block, 
And I got to a point, uh, you know, uh, two, three years in where I could not maintain my job and, and do, uh, you know, payments at the same time. So I had to basically uh, make a decision at that point. So I, I uh, left my government gig and, uh, and that was it. Star Financial was born, you know, 2007, I guess it is 2007. Yeah. Yeah. About 15 years um, you got in. That's awesome. You got a lot of years under your belt there, my friends. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's how uh, that's how uh, that's how we got started, and uh, you know, and and merchant services was actually uh, honestly uh, also a natural add-on for us because we're in the ATM space, and mm-hmm. um, and I know we'll cover this later, but you know, merchant services is a real great, uh, you know, it's a complement for an ATM. Uh, merchant services and ATM do well, uh, maybe some people may not agree with this, but do not compete necessarily. Right, they're, right. They're, they're, they're complementary of each other. Yeah. You know, some of, some of our great locations do both. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and that, that's actually something I wanted to delve into because I agree with you. I've always felt that ATMs are a great complement to merchant services. Um, but I've yeah. not always felt that my opinion is, is the dominant opinion, shall we say. Um, so I was wondering if maybe you could explain to our audience why ATMs are something that ISOs and agents should care about, and maybe uh, you can delve into the revenue opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. So for for the ISO and agent, it's really uh, it's really an additional, you know, outside of the revenue piece, which we'll touch on, but uh, it's really a retention piece and and becoming that trusted partner right. for for that location that they're serving today, right? They're already serving the client today in merchant services, you know, having, you know, and, and you're, you're not necessarily visiting the terminal or the account every day, but when you're touching base with the client, uh, it's having that trusted relationship with them and adding an additional layer of stickiness to that merchant uh, so that they're, you know, your go-to basically as a payment professional. So mm-hmm. you encompass, you know, uh, merchant services, ATM, and other services that you may have. That, that also, it's all inclusive, and you know, you, you just it's just a higher retention rate for your client. Um, and and the revenue piece really actually depends on how the ISO or the agent, um, how much of it do they want to be involved in, at least on the ATM piece, right? Uh, because there's many sure. programs. Um, uh, for us, you know, we specialize in the turnkey program for our ISO agents okay. where we handle, uh, we, we do the heavy lifting, I guess, if you will, uh-huh. uh, from the deployment of the machine to servicing of the ATM, um, cash management, the whole nine. So, um, it's super passive for a lot of agents, but, okay. um, but there's some agents that want to, uh, be involved in that piece, you know, so. Um, definitely, definitely different uh, revenue structures there. Really. So, are yeah. they receiving a like a transaction revenue, and or does it all and a you know a deployment? You know, I mean, is there are there ongoing opportunities, or is it a one time kind of deal? No. So, uh, both really. Okay. Uh, both. Uh, so, if there's you know because there's some agents and ISOs that are like, hey, here's the account. Can you guys handle this and I want nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then there's some that are like, hey, I don't want anything up front. I want a per transaction revenue. And yeah. that's that's uh, and, and that's how some ISOs agents want it. And honestly, I think that's probably the best way uh, mm-hmm. is building that res, uh, residual and you know long term kind of mm-hmm. passive uh, income for them. So 
but we, you know, we entertain both opportunities. Okay, cool. So, uh, Jonas, I was curious, um, you know, when we talk about selling ATMs um, and kind of getting practical for our audience, you know, one of the things that's always interesting to me is kind of this vertical specific things. And, you know, it's a good thing, I feel like, because I, th- I think one of the challenges our industry's had with ATM in the past is that, you know, there are certain businesses that are great for ATM. There are certain that are maybe not. And mm-hmm. in the past, our industry has just kind of been very much scattershot. You know, the agents kind of like, they go sell everybody. And so the idea that only a few of their merchants would be a good fit for something was a little bit of a problem. Now, as the industry shifts more towards verticalization, I think that's going to bode well for that combination because a lot of agents are like, oh yeah, those are the kind of businesses I sell. So can you talk a little bit about what what makes a good business type or what makes a good uh, prospective business for an ATM machine? Yeah. So uh, that's a great question, James, because uh, you're absolutely right. Some there's some locations that are just not going to qualify for an ATM just because there's just no need for it. But I think when because of the way the industry has shifted, especially now with different merchant service programs, especially with cash discounting, that has kind of taken a different model and different approach for certain locations where uh, they want to incentivize cash, but maybe that location or that business did not have an ATM before, right? Mm-hmm, so right. now they're now they're encouraged to, you know, they're like, okay, well, if I'm pushing dual pricing, you know, where I state a cash price and a, and a card price and there's, but they, I, my clients don't have a cash, you know, access to cash on site, you know, th- that makes that location now viable or qualifies, you know, for an, for an ATM. And um, we've come up with very interesting programs actually across the board for some ISOs and agents. Um where merchants, for example, don't even want to charge right. a surcharge to the client, you know, that's using the wow. ATM. You know, they're encouraging, like, hey, here's a surcharge free ATM on my site. Yeah. You know, um, and if you want to pay the 3.99% card fee, great. You know, build up your miles, whatever you want to do there. Mm. Uh, but if you don't, here's a $2, uh, I'm sorry, here's a free ATM on site. Right. And and that merchant eats that cost, you know, for for the ATM. And this is uh, it, it's like a hybrid program. Honestly, it's not your standard ATM program. Right. Uh, not a lot of locations are, you know, coming into this, uh, uh, you know, knowingly per se. But when you when when you offer them, when the ISOR agent offers them as a coupled program, um, it's it's definitely an interesting piece, you know, for them to implement. Yeah. So. So, I, will, um, I will say so, as a user, I, I know several merchants like that, and yeah. I always reward them by spending more money there. I mean, and yeah. I think that that's the, the logic, right? Is that? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 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 And, and what and what about, I mean, just for our listeners, maybe that, that might not understand as far as a business, though, that would be very profitable on the residual side to have an ATM machine. I know foot yeah. traffic would be kind of the big thing. Can you give us some examples yeah. of some really specific business types that are just kind of your bread and butter where you know you're going to get a lot of foot traffic that, that tend to do better than others? Sure, sure. So your standard uh, grocery, convenience store, um, gas stations, uh, liquor stores, you know, uh, these are the bread and butter of sure. volume. Um, and, you know, th- there's a lot of foot traffic in in most of these businesses, not necessarily all, but most of them, sure. uh, that's, you know, and th- this is where uh, the, m- where most of the transactions are occurring today. Right. Yeah. Not in your uh, department stores or your uh, furniture stores, you know, yes. I mean, right. Yes. Yes. It's, it's yeah. in the kind of stores where people might 
be apt to use cash or they might frequent with such a, you know, with such frequency that it's a logical place to go for cash. Exactly. Exactly. Right, yes. Right. So, Jonas, you mentioned about uh, dual pricing and so forth. I'm just wondering, I'm curious if you've seen any impact on ATM <laughs> usage um, at merchants that are on cash discounting and or surcharging. So, so the impact that we've seen, and not necessarily in transaction volume with existing locations, we haven't. Uh, we've se- we've seen a slight percentage increase mm-hmm. on usage on, okay. on existing on existing locations, but we've where we've really seen growth, if you will, is um, in the hybrid locations when a dual pricing or when a cash discount program started okay. becoming popular. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you know, like right after mm-hmm. COVID. Uh, as restaurants, especially restaurants, actually, honestly, right? Sure. Uh, restaurants, uh, and restaurants. To go back to James's question earlier, uh, locations that that have higher foot traffic, um, restaurants have have good traffic, and it's a hit or miss with some locations mm-hmm. uh, for for transaction volume. Uh, but with cash discount, uh, you know, with being implemented at some of these restaurants. Uh, and doing some of these hybrid programs has, you know, has increased new opportunity, new locations that where we would have mm-hmm. usually walked away from. Mm-hmm. Um, and now uh, with this type of hybrid program is, you know, brought a new opportunity at these locations where we can work with the merchants to implement that surcharge free style program. Really interesting. So what you're saying is, what you're saying is, you know, it's not necessarily that implementing because we we've known for a long time that dual pricing cash discounting doesn't really change consumer behavior per se in, in a major way yeah. as far as they're going to oh now they're going to use cash but what you're saying is the it's a more of a rationale where now a lot of business types who maybe weren't interested in the atm before or it wouldn't have been a good fit now all of a sudden it's like a justification for them to say well i do want to implement this dual pricing but if i'm going to do that i should probably put in an atm machine as well and that's the pitch that the, the agency able to use is that what you're saying Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. One hundred percent. Yeah, and and yeah. and actually, it's interesting because I recently um had a conversation with a liquor store that did just that. Huh. You know, they yeah. they really? um they and they said it's not like a bunch of people are going to the ATM and getting cash just to pay with cash, but they had the place that they could put it that wasn't going to interfere with their floor space. So why not just put it in there? Mm. Um, interesting. So yeah. Um, and and again, it's interesting because, like you say, a liquor store is a kind of place that would seem like a, a slam dunk for this, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, if you don't mind, I'd love to get down to the nitty gritty now, you know, um, in terms of how does an ISO or an agent know that they're a good fit for working with an ATM company? And, you know, are there, you know, you, you talked about the different kinds of relationships and sort of how involved everybody gets, but I'm wondering, you know, I'm a, I'm an agent. I decided I want to start, to, you know, offering my customers ATMs. How do I go about uh, go about evaluating a company? Um, you know, an ATM ISO is that what you would call yourself? An ATM ISO? That's correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's, that's correct. And and basically, what you want to do is you want to understand. Um, you know, first you want to you know you as the ATM. I'm sorry, you as the agent or ISO mm-hmm. that wants to offer. Uh, ATMs to your merchants, you know, need to understand, you know, hey, what do I want to do for my merchants? You know, is it, do I want to offer them a turnkey or kind of a mixed bag where they, 
where where they own and operate and where the ATM ISO owns and operates, you know, provides a turnkey program. So kind of understanding that piece first, you know, uh, is is key for the for the ISO when or the agent when they come on board or when they're about to evaluate a company because uh, there's a lot of ATM ISOs out there that provide a mixed bag of programs um, and or you know and and fit everything as one right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, but what you want to be careful with, you know, when evaluating an ATM ISO is is the service. At the end of the day. ATMs, um, you know, we, you know, ATMs are a little bit different than merchant services where, you know, we don't install it and, you know, walk away kind of deal. You, right. you constantly are coming back to that, to that terminal to touch it. There's, pre, um, there's preventive maintenance that you got to provide, you know, that you got to, um, uh, that you have to, um, you know, do on a regular basis. There's cash management piece, uh, uh, software updates, the whole nine that that needs to happen, whether the merchant owns it or whether uh, the, the ISO owns it, right? So that's one thing that you want to evaluate is is what's the you know what's the service relationship with that company? Like for us, um, that's where I started <laughs> with turnkey programs, and the majority of our profile, our portfolio, I should say, is um, is turnkey programs uh, where we handle the you know the entire operations of the ATM. So we're, you know, we have a, a type program where we provide preventive maintenance, cash management, and monitoring of the terminals, uh, so that we don't have downtime. Key thing is to have no downtime at the ATM. Because if the ATM is down, it could be, um, you know, one hour or a day. Um, it's like James. Uh, it's like what James said earlier. You know, customers are uh, uh, creatures of habit. So it's like when they see it down one time. They're like, oh, I got to go to the next one, right. and then, and then you're gone. Yeah. They don't come back. So, right. so yeah. uh, it, it's mitigation. You know, how does the company mitigate? You know, problems. You know, to uh, make sure that the ATM uptime is is yeah. you know near a hundred percent. So you made a you made a reference there that I'm not sure we clear. I'd love to have you just clarify a little bit. Um, and sure. I believe I understand this correctly, but make sure I'm right, is that an ATM can either be, can be owned by the, by the retailer, or it can be owned by the ISO, or it can be owned by the agent. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Yes, absolutely. Okay. There's, yeah, those, those And the those revenue are, model differs accordingly. The revenue model differs, uh, you know, uh, equally for sure. Uh, the most popular program is the turnkey, the turnkey program. There's some merchants that you know want to want to own the terminal, um, uh, but uh, you know tighter regulations have kind of put that put a damper on that. Let's just say for 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 merchants that want to own and operate their own machines. So and and uh, when but you it's say still and when you say yeah. turnkey, Jonas, wait, uh, let me rephrase that to make sure I understand it. Right. So I think what you're saying turnkey is Star Financial owns the ATM machine, Star yep. Financial installs the ATM machine, Star Financial services the ATM machine. This generates revenue. Yes. The agent who sold it is going to get some piece of the revenue depending on the structure. Correct. Correct. Yep. Yeah. You got it. And, and and again, I think too, to clarify, my understanding is that, you know, th- that that is the issue as far as being able to kind of qualify for a program like that. You need to make sure you have a location that's going to do enough traffic to generate enough, you know, surcharge revenue, revenue. from the ATM to justify it. Cause like, this is not like you're buying like a little credit card machine for 200 bucks. Like, ATM machine <laughs> yeah. is like a pretty serious piece of hardware that's expensive. 
So you have to have enough revenue to offset this kind of uh, initial investment. Is that, is that right? Correct. Yes. You're 100% correct. Yes. Cool. So one of the other questions I had, when we think about, you know, the ISO agent here, and and I know we're going to get to some cashless ATM stuff here in a minute, before we do that, I'm just curious, you know, one of the misconceptions I think with agents that I've talked to about ATM is they tend to look at it as more of a all or nothing thing. You know, it's like, well, I'm going to offer ATM to everyone I speak to and otherwise I can't sell ATM. And it's like, well, no, like you need a relationship with somebody like Star Financial, not so that you can dedicate 40 hours a week to selling ATM machines, but because inevitably throughout the week or the month of doing your prospecting, you're going to run into a couple of businesses that would be a great fit for an ATM. And in those cases, they want to reach out. So talk a little bit about kind of that you know, I'm just curious how that works. Is that what you see with a lot of your partners that they they send you a deal here and there? Um, you know, what are what are your thoughts on that kind of the sales process and, and referring business to you? Yeah, what 100. And um, and we, you know, in our training program and our, our onboarding program with uh, with agents and ISOs, we bring up that exact same point that you just brought up. Honestly, it's because uh, you know they will throw a couple locations at us and. Some of those locations don't qualify because of less traffic or the traffic is not there. And we, you know, that lo- location does not qualify. And, you know, some agents get discouraged and it's, it, and, and we're like, listen, you know, so we're, we're upfront about that. You know, right. we're, we're upfront about that. We're like, Hey, listen, s- some locations just don't qualify because they don't have enough foot traffic or the size of the business is just not there to justify this expense. So, um, you know, these are some of the, some of the parameters that you you should follow. These are some of the common businesses that work. Um, but you know, there's always a uh, what we call our hybrid programs that can that can come to uh, th- that you can bring to us, and that we can curtail a program that can work for the merchant, for you guys, and for us. Um, so we don't, you know, we tell them, not, hey, listen, don't be discouraged completely. But before you even approach a location, while you're doing prospecting. You know, when you're not, you know, when if you have a list of locations, hey, Star Financial, this is a, mm-hmm. you know, these are the locations that I think qualify. You know, what do you think before we, you know, before I approach them? And we do the due diligence on that location and say, hey, these are great. I think these, were, you know, these would qualify for us. These ones are not a good fit because there's no justified traffic or, or it's in an area that, you know, doesn't have usage. Um, and we qualify, we help qualify the locations for the uh, agents and ISOs and, uh, and you know, and address it that way. And, it, and we try to be as forward and upfront as, mu- as much as possible, just so that they are, you know, agents and ISOs are not, you know, wasting their time at locations that are not qualified. Sure. So I'm thinking about locations that are not qualified or locations, presumably, that don't get a lot of foot traffic. Or are they locations where the ticket is so low that it just doesn't seem feasible? No, it, it's actually uh, it's actually uh, honestly it's about traffic. It's okay. it's the foot traffic. Foot traffic at the location is the main uh, determine uh, mm-hmm. you know de- denominator, I guess you could say, in in, mm-hmm. in in our factoring is really about foot traffic and um, you know because we can adjust withdrawal limits uh, right. or even sure. or even or even denomination type. Uh, at a location, so okay. Um, yeah. Okay. You know, Jonas. Uh, I wanted to kind of you know go to to a, a more recent topic as opposed to a general topic. And there's been a lot of talk lately about um, cashless ATMs. 
Before yeah. I get into what I wanted to ask you about that, perhaps you could explain to our listeners what exactly a cashless ATM is and some typical applications. Sure. So uh, uh, a cashless ATM is basically a point of sale device, mm-hmm. uh, a countertop point of sale device that mimics uh, an ATM. Um, okay. and mimics an ATM uh, software, an ATM transaction, uh, and an ATM flow, a transaction flow, so that the processor or or um, uh, yeah, the processor on the back end thinks or th- thinks and works like an ATM machine. So. Um, and it's been, uh, you know, it's popular in uh, dispensaries today. Cannabis uh, dispensaries, right? Can, cannabis, yeah, mm-hmm. cannabis dispensaries where, um, where it's uh, where it's affected the ATM business, and it's you know, um, not legal, and uh, uh, and the card brands are really kind of cracking down on that right now, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and uh, really going after. Uh, locations or providers that are providing this today. So we don't provide that today, obviously. Um, and, um, you know, we're, uh, because, in, and and we can go into ATM and uh, and the deployment of an ATM at a cannabis location because it's, it's different than putting an ATM, say, at a retail location. Like if we wanted to put a, an ATM in a retail store, it's very simple. You just deploy an ATM and that's it. Um, you know, as an ATM ISO, right? But uh, as an ATM ISO today, if I want to put an ATM at a cannabis dispensary, um, I have to make sure that my processor and my sponsor bank um, are uh, aware of the placement and that I'm following, you know, strict guidelines on BSA and AML um, Mm -hmm. and the ATM ownership, um, you know, is listed, you know, on on the ATM just so that there is no, um, I guess commingling of funds according to according to what their you know what their guidelines are. So it's a very strict program to place ATMs in uh, in cannabis dispensaries today. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, so cashless cashless ATMs are the workaround for right. for that for that for dispensary. And, and just to back up for for anybody who might not know, BSA stands for Bank Secrecy Act. AML stands for anti-money laundering, the idea being that ATMs can be used by drug dealers or other nefarious people to, to launder their, their, their proceeds. Okay. And, and as the one of the three of us that knows the least about this, let, let me clarify a couple of things. So, are, you know, I actually wasn't aware of some of this. So it, are you saying, Jonas, that even putting a, a, an ATM machine, a, a real normal cash dispensing ATM machine, at a cannabis dispensary, um, is that something that's getting approved? Are you are you able to make those placements, or is that something that's still really really taboo and it's very difficult to get those deals approved by your sponsor bank? No, no, it is. It's 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 we can do it today without okay. issue. And right. and and if they're you know agents on ISOs that are you know uh, in that space, if you will, or targeting that space, one hundred percent we can place them. Okay. Uh, we can place it for them. Uh, what you know. What I would uh, bring forward is is that you know when agents and ISOs are going out to place ATMs, um, either through us or or through anybody else, that they want to be careful that it is a compliant ATM because right. it's not a simple ATM that you're just going to put in because that puts you as the ATM uh, I'm sorry as the agent ISO um, 
at risk, the, the ATM provider and the dispensary owner as well for not having a compliant ATM. Okay. And really, uh, sponsor banks and processors have clamped down on this, including the networks, um, because of this whole cashless ATM situation right. where it's gotten really mm. out of control now. So, right. so it's really become difficult when it, whenever you're putting an ATM, it's really got to be uh, with a compliant provider versus, you know, and one more follow up before, before Patty gets back. Cause again, I just want to make sure. So the cashless ATM, again, I'm going to dumb this down for myself to make sure I got it. So <clears throat> we have an ATM machine. I'm in a cannabis dispensary. I want to make a purchase. I walk over to the ATM machine. I put my ATM card in, I put my pin number in, I get cash. I walk back over to the counter. I buy this product. So that is legal. And, you know, as long as you get the account approved and you're forthright about what type of merchant it is and all that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a compliant ATM machine. You're good. The cashless right. ATM basically, if I understand it correctly, is the cannabis dispensary owner saying, rather than having that inconvenience of walking over and getting the cash and paying the fee and coming back over and paying, you can just use your card right here at the counter at our point of sale system, but it's not really a point of sale system. The transactions are kind of disguised as if it was an ATM transaction, but they're putting it through for the amount of the purchase. And so it really isn't a compliant ATM transaction. Now it's credit card processing, which isn't compliant at a dispensary. Right. With one little caveat there, I think I have to explain and Jonas, correct me if I'm wrong. You can't right. actually do the, the amount of the purchase. You have to round it up to the closest dollar. And therefore, and that's how the, it's disguised to look like an ATM. So it's transaction. disguised to look like an ATM, exactly. and it will appear okay. on the customer's monthly statement right. as an ATM withdrawal. Okay. Correct. All right. Okay. So, so now Correct. that I understand, yep. now now Patty can continue. I, Before I, just want to I continue, sure I, I I have to I have to um do something real quick. So hold on one minute because right. we'll, the dog we'll, is about to bark. Yeah, we'll edit it out. <laughs> yeah, this is actually really interesting, Jonas. I'm like, okay. I've read some stuff about the cashless ATM, but I've never had that. You know, it seems to me like it would be so transparently obvious that like, so they're running these transactions for what, like $13, $15. Like, wouldn't it be yeah, kind of obvious it, it, that it's not 20 bucks or? So, so, um, so they don't actually run it at $13, like in single denominations, okay. but they'll do like 15, 20. And then what do they, what do they do? Do they give them the, the change back? Is that what they do? So yeah, they will give them the change back at the store. Wow, it's, that's crazy. It's, it's amazing, and yeah. and actually now they've even gotten crazy with with the system where you know when an ATM, uh, yeah. when we go to load cash, for example, it it reports to the host, right? So it reports to the host, hey, you know, Star Financial added ten thousand dollars, whatever it is. Right now, the cashless ATM providers have actually, you know, provided that you know provided that same fake transaction to the host, where it just yeah. sends messages to the host to say, hey. Yeah, we've added ten thousand. We've added twenty thousand, or whatever. Oh, so it really, right. yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, yeah, it's really, yeah. And actually, I wanted to get into that a little bit in my next question. If it's okay, we'll, yeah, go we'll for start it. on that. Yeah, yeah. So, so to clarify I, for the ones that are editing, edit everything out that just happened. Now, Patty's going back to the pa uh, Patty's back. You can start again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Jonas, I know Visa has had issues with cashless ATMs, as, as we discussed, because they're they're a way to circumvent restrictions on merchant accounts um, with cannabis dispensaries. And that, you know, these transactions, <laughs> the true nature of these transactions was being disguised. Um, what I'm curious about, and I've asked this of, of other people in the industry, but just not on a podcast. So I'm really, and I've gotten different answers. So uh, does 
because as Visa has explained, the cashless ATM is verboten. You just, you know, it's it's a way of disguising a transaction that is not allowed on the Visa and MasterCard networks. Does that apply then to cashless ATMs that process through the regional ATM networks, or does it just apply to the credit card company ATM? You know, plus what is it? Pul- uh, plus and Pulse. Maestro, Pulse and Maestro, Pulse, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you're saying, does it also apply to Shazam and other Shazam and Plus and Nice and all those? Is there is there a similar um, restriction there? So, so to to my knowledge, uh, the the answer to that is yes. Uh, It's a very uh, and and I understand why you would get multiple, you know, like different answers from different you know different providers. uh, But it's uh, it's really a very gray area, if you will, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's. for us, the networks are the networks, you know, regional or national. Right. Um, you know, it's it's well, and I think and I think, yeah. too, I mean, there's a little bit of confusion as far as the networks. But I mean, this is ultimately about the sponsor bank, not just about the exactly. network. That's right. True, and and right, exactly. all of the sponsor banks agree that you can't process, you know, transactions for a cannabis dispensary. So that's 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 na- nationwide across the board. So while you have the the networks may have varying rules in some ways. I would think that's a bit irrelevant because whatever rule the network has, the sponsor bank who's clearing the transaction says no. Exactly. Correct. Exactly. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So I am curious though, you must have these cashless ATMs have, have they had any impact on ATM usage at dispensaries? I know you uh, say you've had some, you know, ATMs at dispensaries. Are you seeing, Cashless ATMs go into those dispensaries and therefore diminish your your traffic. Uh, uh, so, one hundred percent, yes. Okay. You know, as soon as soon as uh, as soon as as soon as you see a cashless ATM come in, you see, um, you know, some locations see a, a significant dip, mm-hmm. um, uh, but uh, you know, and some locations just see you know uh, 30, 40, 50 percent wiped off. You know, right. just right off, right. right off the bat. Um, so. So for your, you know, for your compliant ATM provider, it's a pretty big hit um, mm-hmm. in 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 some of these locations, and uh, um, and you know, and that's why you know we're you know we're we we're, we encourage Visa or the regulators, whoever it is, you know, mm-hmm. to come in and you know if these transactions are you know deemed illegal, you know, then we need to stop them. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. And it's interesting because, because yeah. as a consumer, you're going to pay a surcharge at the ATM, but you're going to pay pretty much a surcharge at the point of sale also, right? I mean, 100%. that's the big yep. deal with ATM, cashless ATMs, no merchant fees, your customers will pay the fee. But um, no, so, yeah, on the cashless ATM, they're still paying it. They're yeah. still paying. The, they're still paying the fee, and sometimes a little bit higher than what the ATM is. Uh, that's what I'm thinking, right? I mean, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't seen one. I'll be honest. Yeah. I have not actually used one. But for yeah. example, I have used ATMs at dispensaries, and the fees are pretty high. I mean, you know, is yeah. there is there some other rationale or motivation for the? You know, I mean, I would think these dispensaries know enough about this to know that cashless ATMs are, at the very least, questionable. I mean, all they're trying to do is what? Just save their client from having to walk over the ATM ATM machine. I guess maybe there's a negative perception there that no, they're they're really trying to save on the cash, James, because having all that cash yeah. in their cash drawer oh, makes I them see. prime targets. It's a security for, risk, yeah. basically. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I see. It's 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 really uh, it, it's it's really a security. It's uh, the issue is a security. 
And two, and I think that, you know, technology was not there to support the cash issue before, you know, before you were just right. basically stocking everything up and right, uh, yeah. in a vault, right? And then get, get, get an armored car to come pick it up. But now there's, uh, you know, that now there's cash recyclers, there's, uh, uh, there's safes that, you know, that can deposit the cash and um, where, where the, where the money can be credited to, to a dispensary, you know, of course, again, we have to, you have to implement a bank that actually approves cannabis dispensaries to be right. able to have that kind of right. conduit program. Like a smart uh, safe, right? Is that what you're talking smart about? Smart safe. Right. Exactly. Right. Smart safe. Yes. Yes. So, so huh. these programs are, these programs are out there now and it hasn't caught on as fast as the cashless ATMs have. Uh, but this program basically allows, or I shouldn't say eliminates, but reduces significantly reduces that risk for a dispensary owner right. to, to be able to, you know, they have too much cash in the, in their store. They, they put it in a smart safe. It reports, you know, daily, the, the machine settles, you know, like huh. a batch, basically like a merchant right. account yeah. and it batches to their bank. And then, uh, you know, a third party, an armor carrier approved by the bank comes in, you know, takes those funds at, at whatever their capacity is, right. Weekly, daily, whatever that is. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. this is very, very interesting, Jonas. I'm sure we keep talking about this for a while. I mean, I, I still have so many more questions, so I'll have to do another podcast episode soon. But uh, <laughs> um, before you jump off, though, I definitely want to give you a chance to uh, you know, tell our listeners where they should go to learn more if they are maybe they're selling cannabis dispensaries and they're like, hey, cool, I could sell you know, compliant solutions here uh, or they're just looking for ATM in general. Where would they go to learn more about Star Financial and, and uh, inquire about working with you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, James. So uh, the best place to go is uh, www.gowithstar.com. Again, that's www.gowithstar.com. And you can reach me at uh, ymarcos at gowithstar.com, ymarcos at gowithstar.com. And I'd uh, love to hear from you guys and work with you. Excellent. Awesome. Jonas, thanks so much yeah. for taking the time today to share your insights with us. Always a pleasure. So Patty, uh, one reason I love having NMI as our as our sponsor um, is that there's like this unending amount of things that we can talk about because NMI works with huge technology companies. They work with ISOs. Right. But right. I think one of the things that some people might forget is they also are a really fantastic gateway solution, virtual terminal solution that yes. the agent can just sell directly um, to the merchant. Um, right. And so we talk a lot about the integration side, but, you know, even an agent, you know, you can go into the NMI portal and you can set a merchant up for things like email invoicing. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, you know, one of the most untapped markets right now is the card not present large ticket merchants. I agree. Right. I agree. So this would be home service providers, right. um, all kinds of different really service providers um, would be like the primary one that you would think of here. And for most of these businesses, what they really need, and it sounds so simplistic, they need email invoicing. They do. That's all they, they need. Do. They yeah. need to be able to send someone an email that has a link. That person can click the link and they can pay the invoice. Right. Well, you know, right. preferably with ACH or a card, right? And mm -hmm. NMI has these options built in. Um, and it's just a really fantastic solution. So what I would really encourage our listeners to do if you do not already have a solution or you're not happy with your solution to um, have a branded, you know, white labeled technology that you can bring to merchants who need to be able to email their invoices to their clients, go to NMI.com, reach out. Even if your ISO already carries NMI and offers it, you should still individually reach out to NMI, have a conversation with their team and say, hey, I heard about you guys in the Merchant Sales Podcast. 
can I get a demo so I can understand the features for me as the individual agent that wants to just yes. offer the yes. virtual terminal to the to the merchant? And, uh, you know, don't be afraid to mention that you heard about them on the Merchant Sales Podcast. Of course. James Give us a little shout really out. appreciate it. Absolutely. So go to NMI.com. Check it out. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. So, Patty, I really enjoyed our interview with Jonas today. Yes, and, I did. You know, I've had a topic I wanted to talk about, and I feel like this is a good time. And that is okay. when we talk about kind of external risks to merchant sales, I spend most of my time talking about our share of the merchant accounts. In other right. words, you know, uh, are, are we going to be able to sell restaurants or are we going to lose to toast? Are we going to be able to sell retail? Or are we going to lose to square? Are we going to be mm -hmm. able to sell, you know, card not present? Or are we going to lose to Stripe? So right. I talk a lot about our kind of our, the external risk of other, uh, you know, companies that process payments are going to take the merchant accounts away. But right. interestingly, there is a whole other risk that I've been thinking a lot more about lately and talking a lot more uh, about lately, which is, you know, share of the wallet. Right. Right. Big, so big import. Just because you have the merchant account doesn't mean that you have a hundred percent of the payment processing volume. Right. Now right. we have to deal with so many of these. And I just wanted to kind of list them off mainly so that uh, people will be thinking about it and their strategy. I've got some really interesting partnerships I'm working on now on the consulting side that I'm going to try to bring some interesting ideas over the next 12 months on this. Mm -hmm. But the ones that are, are, you know, top of my list would be, um, if you deal with restaurant or food service, you think about delivery services, right? right? How much of the revenue is running through Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub? Um, <clears throat> all of a sudden, 30% of the revenue at that restaurant is now you're not processing that. Now it's going through a delivery service. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what's interesting there, and I mentioned this before, those companies are all looking to provide, or I don't know if all of them are, I know several of them are, they are looking to provide pay at the table solutions as well with lower fee structure mm -hmm. but they're like hey we have this great technology what if we put this technology at the table and you're right you're right it's just a, just a <clears throat> they'll, and they'll migration. offer they'll offer the free little kiosk i'm sure right the mm -hmm. doordash kiosk will be coming soon and now all of a sudden what's your share now all you're getting is is what runs through the point of sale directly so now you're getting 30 percent of the revenue yeah. um right yeah. so i think one is delivery services um next on my list is P2P. So Venmo, right. Zelle. Um, these are you, things good. Just as an aside, I don't know if you saw this, but I saw the other day that uh, pay, um, Amazon will be accepting Venmo. There you go. There and you go. I, that to me was like sent yeah. off alarm signals in my head. It does. It does. I mean, and so um, everybody is going to be, you know, business owners, like I really believe 24 months from now, Business owners, by and large, many of them, especially the larger ones, but it's gonna it's gonna trickle down. They're gonna take Venmo. Oh, um, no question about it. You know, and so the question if is, if they're not already, if they're not already, and so how much of the revenue are you losing because they're taking Venmo? 
mm-hmm. right? Now, again, mm-hmm. I do believe that there is money to be made by integrating Venmo and Zelle acceptance into a great sale environment. Right. Um, you don't, and the great thing about it is you don't have to charge as much because there's no interchange. Mm-hmm. But you can still make your 40, 50, 60, 80 basis points or 100 basis points on these transactions. Again, I don't, I don't have anything to announce yet. I'm just saying that's no. something I'm working on because I think that's really important. And it's really important. Uh, I just noticed the other day, for example, that FIS, you know, had announced its, its um, own real-time P2P service. Yes. Now, no doubt it's going to ride on the rails that already exist. Of course. But, you know, FIS does, you know, is in merchant services as right. well as everything right. else. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. I think um, mm-hmm. the the final one I have, ironically, is um, FedNow and the ACH. Right. Um I don't, it's too early to tell how that's going to play out, but I think it's an interesting, you know, external threat in a way that we need to think about. Now, I'm much more confident with that one that by the time it becomes mainstream, um, we will have the ability, there'll, there'll be a clear path for us to make money on that. I right? agree. Um, but I think, you, you know, you need to be aware of it. You need to be following the changes because, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be an alternate, much cheaper form of payment acceptance. Um in a lot of cases, especially if you're selling B2B, that type of, of right. merchant. And some, and some, you know, acquirers are going to be faster to the gate than others in yes. terms of offering that. Of course. And you need to be on top of that because that's, you know, and I, I've interviewed people at RTP in the past and, you know, that's yep. clearly on their radar. It is. Yeah. And so just something to kind of be aware of. Again, that one doesn't seem to me as big of a threat as much as just a change. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a but change I, you should be ready for. Absolutely. So that's it. I just want to bring up those three channels. You've got your delivery services, which are going to, by the way, I mean, you know, I, I'm talking about food service right now, but I mean, let's be clear, you know, delivery services. I mean, I don't even know what it's going to look like three years from now, but mm-hmm. I have a really, really hard time imagining that three years from now, I'm going to be going to a store very often because the delivery right. services are going to encompass even the smaller retailers mm-hmm. and somebody's going to, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're already trying this, but I mean, somebody is going to solve this problem and say to retailers, Hey, we can provide delivery service and take right. all of your inventory and move it to the cloud in a way where people can order and, and we'll have our drivers deliver it. You know, the, the delivery thing is coming. We already, we already saw some of that during the pandemic, James. I know in Washington, DC, for example, there was uh, all the little merchants in one particular neighborhood kind of, uh, got together and came up with a delivery service yep. for their goods and services, you know, coffee and yep. whatnot. Yep. Yeah. So I think, I think it's just super important. I think you want to be very much aware of those threats of the delivery side, the P2P, and then be aware of ACA or, or fed now and the ACH, uh, you know, instant Better ACH known as fa- combined being faster payments. Really. Exactly. Yes. Right. Faster payments, cheaper payments. Uh, well, for the, mm-hmm. for the second two, um, the, the first one being distribution. But yeah, so right. anyway, that's it. Just want to share that with everybody so they can be thinking Great. about it and I'll have a lot more to come on that. Thanks, James. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Okay, James, so we've referenced this uh, earlier this month um, when we uh, interviewed Elaine. I want to talk uh, that is about debit routing. Yes, um, sure. You know, uh, how the Fed has finalized its rule on debit routing. just want to dedicate a few minutes to this. Beginning next July, debit card issuers must enable pinless debit 
or risk running afoul of the Durban Amendment. Now, as we've discussed many times in the past, the Durban Amendment is a lot more than just regulate debit card interchange. Right. Um, for example, it requires debit card issuers to enable merchants to choose from two unaffiliated networks for routing payments. But at the time that the law was passed, you know, most debit card activity was card present. Okay. Then as e-commerce took off, obviously, so did demand for card not present debit card payments. Um, it was an easy enough fix for Visa and MasterCard networks to accommodate. Um, but the regional networks, NICE, Star, Shazam, took longer um, coming up with a way to handle online debit card payments. And what they came up with was something called pinless debit, which basically replaces pin authorization with ABS or CVV. Right. Okay. Um, the problem, of course, was that most of the uh, largest debit card issuers have taken their time supporting pinless debit, and for good reason. Right. Um, you know, but I was really shocked. The Fed said just 6% of online debit card payments get routed through the regional EFT networks. Really? So, so, what, so 94% going through going through Visa and MasterCard, MasterCard owned networks. networks. Yeah. Right. I, I would imagine this, um, Discover has some kind of a uh, small yeah. debit network, right? Yeah. It, well, it, it actually owns Pulse. Oh, that's right. That's right. right. Okay. Which is a regional, still considered a regional network. Okay. Right? So, so even including Pulse, they're saying it's 6%. Yeah. Or, or whatever. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Pretty low. <laughs> so that's, that's, you know, it's pretty small. Um, and of course, you know, retailers and lawmakers, not surprisingly, have been pressuring the Fed, which of course is in charge of enforcing the Durban Amendment. They want the Fed to do something. So the Fed has amended its rules to clarify that this network choice provision applies to all debit card payments, including card not present. Now, the plan's been in the works for about two years. Yeah. But the final decision was only announced in September, giving the industry roughly 10 months to comply. Because the changes, you know, and, and again, the changes are pretty much in conformance with what the Fed proposed. Um, but I love what the Fed said. It's like this change, quote, will encourage competition between networks and incentivize them to improve their fraud prevention capabilities. Um, but like I said, the kicker is that it takes effect on July 1st. I think the banking industry is going to push the Fed for an extension. Well, yeah, we could, we could pretty much bank on that. No yeah. pun intended. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, this goes along debit card routing, as we discussed, the Credit Card Competition Act, right. talking about credit card routing, yeah. clearly, Congress has routing and the Fed have routing on the brain, so to speak. Yeah, they do. And I think they're, I think it's uh, going to give them, uh, you know, some indigestion there as they try to figure out how to enforce this. Because, I mean, I don't know. We've talked about it so many times, but it just, it, it, it it's going to be gonna very be difficult hard. to enforce. It's going to be very, very <laughs> and, hard. And then, and then even when they do enforce it, there's nothing. I mean, I guess they could, you know, anti competitive practices or something. But I mean, Visa MasterCard and just lower the cost of, running debit. debit. And then it's like, yeah, merchants now have the chance to choose which one they want to run it over. Well, they're probably going to run it over the cheapest one. Who's in the, who's in the position to offer the cheapest cost? Visa and MasterCard. Visa and MasterCard. Yeah. So I, you know, I yeah. honestly, I kind of feel like the government is just really falling all over themselves. And I'll tell you what it is, Patty, honestly, and I haven't really ever said this before, but the, the real issue here is actually political, right? Because the, the issue is, 
you have you have to get Republicans and Democrats to support something like this in order mm-hmm. for it to really have any teeth. Right. Well, in order to get Republicans to support it, it has to be free market economy. And in order right. to get Democrats to support it, it has to be, you know, ostensibly helping small businesses and, and consumers. And consumers. Well, the problem is there is no solution that does all three of those things. No, there isn't. It's going to be you're basically pitting one. It's not even pitting one party against another. It's within the parties because you're pitting one kind of business against another kind of business. Oh, right. And it just it just, you know, it's like they're trying to get everybody on board with this type of legislation. Same thing with the Credit Card Competition Act. I mean, it's just stupid. I'm sorry, and, but and, it, and, and look at how hard it was for Durbin to get support for the credit. He's only gotten one Republican right. and he's got no Democrats. And, and what I'm saying is imagine what kind of support he would have lost even greater than that. If he would have come out and said, we're going to regulate interchange, like we're going to cap it. Right. Well, he would have gotten zero Republican support for that. Right. Might've gotten some, you know, Democrats kept a lot of the support maybe, on the Democrat side, but- maybe. But even yeah. a lot of Democrats are, are still more so free market that they wouldn't have gone for that. So again, and they're I, also very pro um, small bank. Oh, right, right. Community so banks, right. I'm not making any kind of, you know, this is what I think politically statement. I'm just saying from a pragmatic, practical perspective, the problem here is they're trying to get, you know, they're trying to herd cats and get everybody to get on board with this bill. But as a result, they've made it where you just, you, you can't enforce it. There's, it's just, it's unenforceable. Well, and I think that this debit rule, you know, I think it's actually opportune that this has come up now yeah. because I think it's a, it's a clear demonstration of just how difficult it is to yes. regulate. Yeah, I, I, I hope that. These cats. Yeah, I, I hope that as things talks are get more serious about this legislation, to your point, hopefully there's some conversations with other senators going on behind the scenes saying, well, how did it go last time Durbin did this? Right. We don't know yet. It's like 11 years later and we're still trying to figure it out. Um, so hopefully that, you know, that will come up and I, I hope that senators will say to Dick Durbin, uh, let's wait until your, your last boondoggle runs its course and let's see if you can actually get this thing to be implemented. And, uh, mm-hmm. if not, let's, let's, you know, call a spade a spade and say that this is the wrong approach to regulate right. this industry. So right. anyway, good yep. stuff, Patty. Thank you for listening to the merchant sales podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran processing executive or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.